There was only one night game a year. On the 4th of July, the whole sky would brighten up with fireworks, giving us just enough light for a game. We played our best then, because I guess we all felt like the big leaguers under the lights of some great stadium. Benny felt like that all the time. We all knew he was going to go on to bigger and better games, because every time we stopped to watch the sky on those nights, like regular kids, he was there to call us back. You see, for us, baseball was a game. But for Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, baseball was life. All right, we're back. It's another episode of the Obstructed View Red Sox podcast. Uh, today, we actually are recording. It's now Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, we're recording after the Red Sox raise uh, second game of the series. Um, and we have from Boston Sports Journal, Sean McAdam on the podcast. Sean, how's it going? Uh, it's going well, guys. How are you? <laughs> I am good. Yeah, I good. just very lost good. my computer right there, <laughs> the uh, stand. Um, but yeah, sorry. Uh, go ahead, guys. Oh, Sean, you just broke the news, obviously, that Red Sox reliever Hansel Robles has been designated for assignment. So, you know, we wanted to kind of touch up on that a little bit. With him being designated, how do you see that vacant 40-man roster spot being utilized? Well, initially, the, they had to uh, get somebody on the 26-man Major League roster to make room for Brian Bayo's Major League debut as we speak later tonight, Wednesday night against Tampa. He'll be making his debut as a spot starter. So um, that was the spot that they needed to, uh, to create. We figured it was going to be a pitcher, of course, and uh, while there was – perhaps the option of sending Cutter Crawford back and then bringing him back. I think the way that Robles had pitched poorly now for going on close to a month, uh, he had five blown saves. He had an ERA up near six. And if tonight was any final referendum on his status and, and uh, part of the Red Sox bullpen and roster, he didn't help himself by allowing a run uh, on a hit with two walks. And those have sort of uh, typified the struggles he's had this season, both in terms of walks and staying out of the middle of the plate. You know, the stuff can be pretty good when he locates it, but too often it seemed that fastball was right down the middle. We saw that again tonight. Uh, I get the sense that this was probably going to be the move they were going to make at the start of the game. And certainly nothing Robles did in his final appearance um, helped him appeal that decision and have them change their minds. Sean, do you yeah. think that, that um, potentially Robles was dealing with maybe an injury that hasn't been disclosed yet? Because it just, it seemed like he just completely fell off the face of the earth. He started out the month of April, um, you know, pretty much on fire. And yeah. the second the calendar turned to May, he just he was a completely different guy. Yeah, that's not a bad theory at all, that there could be some underlying physical thing that he's dealing with. I'll say this. Uh, the guy always took the ball. Um, he was a workhorse. He was a guy that, you know, wasn't afraid to go three times in four days. 
he was pretty durable, but you're right. It, it, it was like something flipped at the start of May and the guy who looked like a pretty good investment because he was a minor league free agent signing with an invitation to camp. I remember he came into Fort Myers. Uh, he had had some visa issues. It took a little longer for him to get there. They didn't sign him or re-sign him until uh, a good couple of weeks into spring training. And the day he arrived, he proclaimed himself ready and available to pitch in games because he had been, um, you know, throwing a lot in the native, in his native Dominican. He had been working out at the Red Sox uh, Academy in the Dominican Republic while the visa got straightened out. And he got off to a great start to the point where, you know, for a long time, they didn't have a closer or looking at different guys. And you thought, well, maybe the sky's emerging here as a guy they can go to. He was a veteran. Uh, he wasn't one to get rattled by a big situation or a high leverage spot. But then after a while, the results weren't there. And whether we'll find out later on whether there, there was something underlying that that, that prohibited him from pitching as well as he did at the start, we don't know. All we know is that he's been DFA'd. I, I, who knows? I mean, with with everybody looking for bullpen help, he might even be a guy that could get claimed here or they could make a small deal. I, I don't know in the event if he clears whether they would have any interest in keeping him and optioning him or outrighting him to Worcester or whether he would be okay with that or whether he'd rather be a free agent and make his own deal. But he's gone for now anyway. I'd say his willingness to uh, come back to Boston and immediately pitch right out of the gate after the visa issue was resolved kind of, kind of, you know, speaks volume a little bit. I uh, get the sense that he might have been more willing to sign back with Boston after waiting all that time through the lockout. Yeah, I so, think so. Uh, I, I, I think he enjoyed his time here last year. Remember, you know, he was almost this afterthought deal at the deadline. They got Schwarber. They made some other moves. They made the deal with Pittsburgh to get Austin Davis. Uh, and there was kind of this side deal for Robles with the Twins. And other than a bad outing that he had against Minnesota, maybe a week or 10 days after the deal, he actually pitched pretty well for August and September. I think he probably enjoyed being part of a playoff team and having the kind of run that they had in October. And uh, particularly when you look at the situation that they were, uh, they were staring at in the bullpen as they began the season, he probably looked at it and said, you know, even if they have Barnes come back to be the closer, I can get some important appearances as being a high leverage setup guy in the eighth inning. And he pitched well enough for a month or so to, to warrant that but then the production started to head in the other direction and uh here we are tonight with him being dfa'd yeah ultimately i think i think it's safe to say that for now he like you said to your point um i think he could very well be claimed because there's plenty of teams who could use the help uh that he would be able to provide if he can get it straightened out I don't know if another team might pick up on something that might be going wrong with his delivery or if they notice anything that could be changed to tweak him, make him a more effective reliever again. But Yeah, I, I, I could certainly see that happening. It's not like there's a lot of money here 
We're halfway through, exactly halfway through as we speak, guys, 81 games down, 81 to go. Um, I forget exactly what the money was for him, but the base was, you know, a million and change, which means you're on the hook for six or 700,000 the rest of the way. If you were to either claim him or make a cash deal or make a small deal uh, with the Red Sox, but you're right. Every team thinks they've got the answer, the secret sauce. We've got a pitching coach that in, that can get them straightened out. We've seen something on video that, uh, you know, if we can correct, he can still be effective. So, uh, yeah, it, it's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility that that he could end up with another major league team pretty soon in the next uh, in the next week or so here. So, Sean, I wanted to just jump in really quick. You mentioned a name with Matt Barnes, and it's been a little quiet on the on the Barnes front for a few weeks since he's gone on the IL. Any um, any update? Is is he someone that's just kind of I want to say banished to like you know purgatory right now? But is 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 it possible we're going to see him sooner rather than later? Yeah, it shouldn't be too long. As a matter of fact, we did get an update from Alex Cora today, noting that Barnes had. Th- thrown a bullpen today and uh, would uh, likely be beginning a rehab assignment later in the week. I think the plan is for him to face hitters in a live BP or simulated game situation over the next couple of days and then start a rehab appearance with one of the minor league affiliates. Um, You would think they would want him to pitch you know, three or four times anyway. It's been a while, as you said, before he was placed on the IL with those shoulder issues. Uh, He's better physically, but he's got to get back into game shape, build up that arm strength and get into game situations again. I don't know if that means there's not time for him before the all-star break. We've got, uh, but now that I do the math in my head, it probably doesn't make any sense to see him before the break if he gets sent out on a on assignment maybe over the weekend uh, that would give him only a week to get ready and I don't think they want to rush him at this point when you're talking about a shoulder injury so I would say uh, expect to see Matt Barnes back with the Red Sox you know in a limited role he's going to have to pitch himself back into some trust and some high leverage spots then again he wasn't getting a lot of those before he was placed on the IL, but uh, it's certainly likely that he's back with the Red Sox before the end of July. Well, I think having some kind of presence in the bullpen, anything resourceful at this point would be super helpful. I know the Red Sox have obviously struggled in the bullpen, especially the back end for that matter, as we all saw with Robles. So I'm curious if you think that that, will foreshadow any eventual acquisitions of any kind from outside the organization? Or yeah, do you I don't think, think do it internally? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question that the bullpen is going to be priority number one when it comes to August 2nd, which is the date of the trade deadline this year. And will they'll target anyone help. in particular? Do you see them targeting uh, well, I could, I could certainly see a guy like David Robertson who uh, made a bunch of appearances and looked very good against them over the weekend at Wrigley for the Cubs being a potential target. Um, 
but I would expect that there would be about nine or 10 other teams lining up because Robertson has pitched extremely well. He's healthy. He's a guy that's been on the big stage with the Yankees and the White Sox and some other teams. Uh, he's pitched in the postseason. He's healthy again. That cutter looks good. I thought he was able to pitch to the edges of the strike zone and keep the ball out of the middle of the plate over the weekend against the Red Sox. So certainly there was nothing um, that you saw uh, against them over the weekend that would uh, th that would dissuade the Red Sox into exhibiting interest in him. But as I said, I think he'll be a pretty in-demand commodity uh, over the next three weeks or so. I mean, you guys know you can take a look at the teams that are out of contention. Uh, that means Baltimore, Detroit, Kansas City, Oakland, uh, probably Texas, uh, probably Washington and Miami, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Colorado, Arizona. You look at those teams and then you look at guys that are on expiring deals um, you know, you got a guy like Ian Kennedy, you got a guy like Mark Melanson with Arizona. Um, you, you've got uh, Trevino with Oakland. Um, you've got a couple of guys, Jimenez with Detroit. Uh, there's so many guys out there, uh, I think, that are going to be names that they at least investigate uh, how they're going to. And, and you're going to assume at this point with four lefties already in the bullpen and the possibility and likelihood that Josh Taylor is back before long, you would expect that they would be focused on a right-handed guy. Uh, that's what they need. Even if you have Whitlock back there to team with Schreiber and Hout, uh, I would expect that you would want a right-handed reliever who's had some postseason exposure and experience uh, and that's why Robertson is the guy that immediately comes to mind. It's clear the Cubs are going to move him. They're not in contention. It does them no good to hold on to him. He's a guy that has been very effective, who has that track record. So I think he's going to be one of the people that we see a lot of teams after, the Red Sox included. You know, we're, while we're kind of here on the like the trading talk right now, who, who do you see right now as the most available person for the Red Sox deal, you know? who's available to get rid of and deal for these type of closers and maybe any other position you think we might need to improve on? Yeah, well, I'll take the second one first. Um, I think right field is an area that they could certainly upgrade. They're not getting a lot of offense, obviously, out of Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, I think Rob Refsnyder has been a nice acquisition here over the last few weeks. At the very least, he's proven himself to be, <coughs> excuse me, capable of being an effective platoon player hitting against left-handers. Uh, he's athletic enough to play really all three outfield spots, has made some nice plays defensively. But I still think he'd like a little bit more of an upgrade in right field. So I, I think they'll look around and see what they can do there. I think they would also still be open to something at first base, which is probably something they weren't contemplating at the start of the year. My guess is they thought, uh, they would start the year with Dahlbeck, see how that went. And at the very least, they'd have Casas ready to come up and contribute in the second half. We know that that plan has been sidelined by the fact that Casas has missed more than a month now with an ankle injury. He's nowhere close to being able to help out at the big league level. 
didn't get the number of at-bats at AAA they would have hoped for in the first half because of the injury. So um, first base is another area. And I think just like every other team, you'd be on the lookout for starting pitching. Now, the Red Sox right now, uh, if they get everybody back that they expect to in the next couple of weeks, are going to have a surplus of guys. You've got the possibility of Chris Sale coming back as soon as next week. You've got Nathan Avaldi probably ready to come off the IL when the second half begins. You've got James Paxton looming in the background as a guy who could be ready to help out in August. So you do have some nice options, which to say nothing of a guy like Brian Bayo, who may show himself tomorrow night and any subsequent spot starts he gets as a guy who might be able to help over the second half. But, you know, it, it's, it's almost in the Constitution that if you're a team looking to get into the playoffs, you're going to be open to the idea of acquiring starting pitching depth. So I would put that third on the list. It's nowhere near as much of a need as bullpen and another bat in the outfield, preferably one right-handed, but it's there anyway. In terms of what they have to give up, um, that's where it's going to get interesting because we know how reluctant Bloom is to give up on top prospects, but he's going to have to do something to be able to get something of quality. If you want to get David Robertson from the Cubs and you want to outbid another half dozen or eight teams that are also in on him, uh, that's not going to come by giving up a 4A guy or a mid-level prospect. You're going to have to give up a real uh, player of some promise to be able to get to him. Um, I, I think it might be a little easier for the Red Sox to move some of their prospects at this deadline because they're going to have a bunch of guys that are going to need protection on the 40-man roster this winter in anticipation of the Rule 5 draft. So you're going to have guys that you either trade now and get something for or risk losing for $100,000 at the winter meetings at the Rule 5 draft. So that makes it a little easier to shake some names loose. And then you've got some guys that, you know, have either played well or in some cases haven't played well at the major league level. Uh, How much value does a guy like Bobby Dahlbeck have? You look at the numbers here, we see him every day struggling to make contact, and you might think not much at all. But a big six foot four guy who hit 25 home runs last year and has struggled certainly this year probably has some value out there. Uh, do they think about Jaron Duran being someone that they could afford to give up if Kike Hernandez returns and is healthy the rest of the year to return to center field and hit leadoff? So There's a couple of guys at the major league level that could get included. And then you're looking at, you know, they're not going to, all of us could come up with six or eight players that they're not going to deal. Nobody's going to give up Tristan Casas. No one's going to give up Nick York. No one's going to give up Marcel Meyer. Uh, You know, we we know they're not going to give up Brian Bayo. They're not going to give up Brian Mata. There's five untouchables right there, and there's probably another five if we went down the prospect list. But there are some guys that have some value, you know, who might be 8 to 20 on the list of the best Red Sox prospects. And if you combine two of those, you might get yourself, you know, the kind of help that you're looking for at the deadline. 
Also, um, Sean, kind of still touching on the younger pitchers. You know, the way they've stepped up the last couple of weeks, would you be surprised to see the Sox let someone like Evaldi walk in free agency? Yeah, that's interesting. They've got a lot of tough calls to come up uh, after this season. Bogarts is the most obvious and more immediate one because of his stature and the fact that he can opt out. But Evaldi is, is, um, is an interesting call, and so too is is J.D. Martinez, but let's take Evaldi. Um, you know, the fact that he's now missed some time here is probably going to reintroduce the notion that Evaldi is a guy that can't always stay healthy. Uh, he spent some time on the IL in 2020 in the, in the shortened 60-game uh, season. He was healthy all of last year and healthy for the first two and a half months this year. But the fact that he's been out now for three weeks and is probably a couple of weeks away is bound to, excuse me, um, I think make them think twice about, you know, the, the risk involved in extending a guy in his 30s who has a history of injury. Um, you know, he's had Tommy John surgery twice, once in high school and once a few years ago, really hasn't had any major arm issues, but there always seems to be something, whether it's a flexor issue the way it was for a while in 2020 or the, the lower back and hip issue that affects him now. Uh, we know that these guys are somewhat risk averse when it comes to giving a lot of money to pitchers in their 30s. It's backfired for them before. So I think that's probably a call that's going to be made based on how well he comes back. If he comes back and every start the rest of the way, then certainly that's a guy you want to retain. But I think him going on the IL here this month and missing a good chunk, even if it's only a month or so, is bound to set off some alarms, I think, in the, in the baseball ops department at Fenway. The fact that they do have some young pitchers to turn to, Josh Winkowski's looked very good in his five starts. Seabold's only made a couple, one good, one bad. Crawford's been up and down. We'll see what happens with Bayo in his opportunity. But certainly there are guys here uh, who appear capable of stepping in and contributing in a way we haven't seen from this player development system in a long time. And that does make it at least somewhat easier to let established guys like Evaldi walk because you think there's too much risk in extending them at that age. Yeah, you could, you could theoretically, you know, cause I've been kind of back and forth. We've talked about it a few times when we recorded this year, um, you know, Evaldi's probably going to command. I don't know if I want to give him 22 a year cause it's probably what it's going to be around. I, just if you look at the, the starting pitching market, it's, it's not as strong. Um, Garrett Whitlock obviously is going to get an opportunity to be a starter coming up next season after, you know, the way they're going to finish out this year. Whitlock could be that guy to replace him. I don't think it's far-fetched, and you mentioned the starting pitching being on the latter end of what Bloom could go after. I don't really think it's that far-fetched they could get someone that, that's a little bit more controllable, that's younger, that he could trade some of these players who may not, like you said, may not have a spot because of the Rule 5 draft, and that could be someone – that could begin to be the next phase as I'm not saying phase out Evaldi, but that could be 
part of the next plans as, as they begin to move forward with, you know, the, the rotation for the next couple of seasons? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think Bloom is a guy that is not fixated on, well, what do we need for the final two months of this year? And if we get into October, although certainly last year, the deal made for Schwarber was kind of short term. Uh, you know, Robles was going to be a free agent too. Uh, Davis, they got a little control with when they got him from Pittsburgh. But I think um, particularly younger, more analytically inclined GMs are more likely to be, uh, you know, trying to do two things at once, help the team short term to contend and advance and go as far as they can this October. But also, you know, is this an opportunity to add a player with some control for a couple of years that can solve a problem now and in the future? You know, I don't see them <coughs> having the kind of uh, collateral to go after, say, a Luis Castillo who uh, is under control for the rest of this year and next. So that's a guy that you'd have a carryover season from, but he's probably going to be the starting pitcher most in demand in the next month. So the, the asking price is going to be through the roof. Yeah. But a guy like that could be someone that solves two problems at once, gives you another pitcher, um, you know, a, a, with, with, plus stuff for the short term, but somebody who provides some insurance if you don't want to retain of all your extended. Yeah, it would almost be like to me, if you weren't going to overextend and give the basically the players that Toronto gave up to Minnesota to get um, Barrios there last year, it's yep. to me similar, a similar player, similar. Uh, yep, I contract, agree. You know what I mean? That's so a good comp. So if Bloom isn't going to do then, and then you got it, you have to think that the money's going to be similar when he hits the market. And it just, again, and I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't think it's wrong to not overextend on, on a lot of these pitchers where we're seeing what we're seeing now, which is refreshing to see this Red Sox team develop pitching, get, get this internal depth to hold you over when you have these injuries. Yeah, and, and also to keep you out of the high end of the starting pitching free agent market, which, let's face it, has not always been a good investment for them or most other teams in baseball. Uh, you know, extending Chris Sale a few years ago as they did has not looked like a good move to this point. Now, maybe Chris Sale comes back starting Tuesday and is the Chris Sale we saw in 2018 and 2019 before he got hurt. Um, but they've gotten very little investment on their return so far. And, you know, you look at David Price and some of the other costly acquisitions, whether it be through trade or free agency, and it points out uh, how imperative it is to grow your own starting pitching. And that's the one thing the Red Sox, as we know, have not done well for the last 15 years. They can churn out position players like they're coming off an assembly line, but they have not been successful until this year. And, and it's too early to say that, you know, they've, they've cracked the, the puzzle here. But the early returns <clears throat> on guys like Winkowski 
who I understand is not someone they developed entirely. He was, uh, he was obtained in the three-way trade with Ben Attendee going to Kansas City, Winkowski coming from the Mets. But he's a guy that they've kind of finished off nicely. You know, he hadn't gotten to double A when they got him. And now here he is in the big leagues and looking very impressive on, in a small sample size. So, you know, that plus the prospect of Bayo and Mata, who are probably their two best arms. And then you start thinking about, well, what if, you know, even if we get back end or swing guys out of Seabold and Crawford, you know, that, that extends your pitching depth for your entire staff, even if they're not necessarily, you know, top of the rotation guys who are going to give you 180 innings every year. Yeah. I'm sorry, going back to the Benny deal is Winkowski's emergence and Cordero's, you know, better play. I know for you to feel confident um, with giving any feedback on the return for Ben Intendi. Yeah, look, I, I thought that people overreacted to that trade when it happened. Benintendi had a nice year last year. He's had a, a good year this year, hitting over 300. But he is a limited player to me. Um, he, he's a slightly above average corner outfielder, particularly a left fielder. But he doesn't have a lot of power, as the numbers this year prove. And um, when you look at, you know, and, and let's take into account the control issue. When they traded Benintendi, he was two years away from free agency. Now he's half a season away from free agency. The Royals are almost certainly going to trade him sometime in the next three weeks. Meanwhile, you've got another three seasons of control with Cordero, and you've got six years of control with Winkowski, and that doesn't even begin to account for the lottery tickets, the three guys that they got as players to be named later. Freddie Valdez has won a couple of young pitchers, uh, you know, down at the uh, at the complex league level or in the Dominican Summer League. I mean, they're, you know, they're kids. They're 19, they're 20, they're 21 years old. Who knows what happens there? But if you get a major league starter in Josh Winkowski and <clears> – <throat> Even if Cordero remains a somewhat limited guy, a platoon guy, you can play against right-handers who can give you power, uh, who's got great athleticism, runs well, who can play a decent outfield and is improving at first base. To me, I make that trade again tomorrow and don't even look back. I know people have a have a have uh, an affinity and affection for Benintendi and what he did here to contribute to 2018. But I, I see him as a pretty highly paid singles hitter at this point, who happens to be an above average outfielder and a guy that, you know, the Royals are paying nine, $10 million for this year. And to me, he's not giving them that kind of return. So uh, I, I think that's a deal that looks better for the Red Sox and from their perspective with each passing day. Yeah. Also kind of shifting gears a little bit. What made you want to become a sports writer? Um, well, like a lot of other people and like you guys, I suspect, um, I grew up a, a, a baseball fan, a Red Sox fan. I started going to games in 1967. That was a good year to get hooked on the team and the game and the impossible dream season. Uh, you know, remained a fan throughout high school and college. Always liked to write. 
um, actually did a lot of writing in college and out of college uh, about topics other than sports, kind of fell into a job in radio not long after I graduated from college, um, producing a sports radio show and doing some on-air work in Providence. And uh, in a few years' time, that translated to an opportunity at the Providence Journal where I did a little bit of everything, backed up on the Patriots, covered the Bruins, did high schools, did features. And then in 1989, uh, got put on the Red Sox beat. And that's how I've wasted my life ever since. 34 years now on the beat. Uh, I'm not sure I'm qualified to do anything else at this point, but I still like doing it. That's what I was saying to the, uh, the guys before we recorded earlier tonight. You know, I was introduced to your work through the Providence Journal. And I was saying to them, you know, really before Twitter and social media became super prevalent the way that it is now, um, you know, it was really, it was you. It was, I know Peter Gammons was obviously with ESPN, but he was still another, you know, another person you would go to um, in regards to just getting that Red Sox news. Um, very familiar. I used to listen to 7-9 of the score a lot um, before WEI and the 98.5 really kind of swallowed that up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's definitely, you know, for me, just kind of like us even having this conversation very, you know, full circle, you know, to think like during the 2003, 2004 season, you know what I mean? You're cranking out content about these players that, you know, you're around all the time. And now we're talking to talking to you. It's a, it's a very like surreal conversation right now. So it's um, for me, it hits a, a little bit differently, at least from my standpoint. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate to have made a living doing this. Um, you know, it's a lot of, uh, time away from home and the schedule can be a bear at times, but, um, I, I, I still enjoy the game. I still enjoy writing about it and talking about it. And, uh, you know, the, the podcast world has opened up, um, a whole other avenue for guys like yourselves to get introduced into the business and for me to have the opportunity to, to come on and, uh, and, talk about the, the Red Sox and the game in general, which I always enjoy doing. So um, uh, I'm glad you guys are doing this. I'm glad you're having fun with it. And I'm glad I got a chance to come on with you. Sir, just kind of right, kind of right before we let you go. I know you said you've been watching since six, seven, you've been covering since 89, I think is what you said, correct? Yep. Uh-huh. You know, what's kind of one of your favorite teams growing up watching or even covering just, and you're one of your favorite memories from it. <laughs> well, you know, as a fan, uh, you know, my memories of the 67 season are, uh, are kind of formative. That's, um, you know, I, I often think what would have happened if 66 had been my first season or 1968 when, you know, they were somewhat competitive but didn't win. Uh, that was such a launching pad for so many people. I think if you talk to a lot of people, my age who grew up in new england uh that 67 season really captured everyone's imagination so that will always have a special place in my heart um i wasn't uh, i was in high school during the 75 world series and remember that and how close they came in 78 and 86 and then of course when you start covering a team 
you stop being a fan. You need some distance and objectivity. Um, you know, the, the requirements of the job change and you're no longer looking and rooting, but you are there to write and report. But certainly being part of both 2003, which was uh, such a, a devastating loss if you're a Red Sox fan, and then seeing what they did in 2004, um, you know, being part of that. Uh, I, I don't think I slept at all on those two Octobers. Um, the, it, it was a, it was a brutal, uh, work schedule, but <clears throat> you know, those games will, will stay with you forever. And to think that as someone who used to root for this team and used to pull for them and, and saw so many disappointments in 67 and 72 and 75 and 78 and 86 and on and on and on to think that I've had a front row seat to four world championships uh, for the Red Sox um, is, is kind of unbelievable. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, you, I, I've, I've seen them when you cover a franchise for 34 years, um, you, you see a little bit of everything. You see them being very good. You see them being very bad. And you see them having some mediocre years right in the middle and everything in between. But certainly those four championship seasons that I was privy to, to, to cover and be there for are, uh, are highlights for me professionally. 110%. Well, I don't know if we have much more to say at the moment. I mean, there's a lot going on in the Red Sox world today obviously with all that's going on tonight and all that is going to be coming up. So, I mean, we're obviously going to keep our eyes peeled for your tweets and your news and all in between we see online, hopefully no more, uh, you know, gut wrenching big, you know, trades that people are going to freak out over. I know a lot of people have their loyalties. Yep. So. Yeah. It's, um, this, this is always, uh, uh, an interesting time here as you get to the all-star break, which is now less than two weeks away. And then you think about the trade deadline being less than a month away. Uh, a lot can happen and a lot can change in the next few weeks to, to determine what they're going to do, how aggressive they're going to be and what, what the team's going to look like going forward for the final two months and beyond. So um, it, it, it's never dull around the Red Sox. And I expect that we'll be uh, a, a especially interesting over the next four weeks. Yeah, this the 17 game stretch that they have just with the American League East is, I, you know, it, it's it's going to make or break this year. Um, you know, if they come out of this 17 game run and, and they completely fall on their face, it could completely change the narrative of what we're talking about. We're, you know, we're talking about adding to the bullpen. Maybe they're going to do just the opposite. Hopefully it's not what we're going to be talking about in a month's time and it's about adding and, you know, trying to close some of the gap to New York, but at the very least, just get into the postseason and just see what happens after that. So, but, um, but that is, uh, that seems like pretty much it first, you know, again, Sean, thank you for uh, taking the time, um, you know, right after the Red Sox game, we're meeting with us. Um, it's like I said, it's been, um, and the only word I keep, you to keep saying is it's just cool to keep talking to you guys who have been covering the team and just um, it, it's just a, it's a really awesome experience field to, to kind of chat on, uh, on our show with, with this stuff. So I, I appreciate you taking the time. 
Well, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for asking me. Uh, I enjoyed it. And um, maybe we can uh, do another show before the season's out. Or uh, if things go well, we can do some sort of playoff preview in September. That would be absolutely awesome. That would be that'd be a good time. So that is uh, the that is the episode for tonight. Um, you can again get this on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify. In addition, make sure you check out Sean at Boston Sports Journal. Um, also, you have your new book too, Sean. Correct? Yes, I do. Thanks. Uh, a week from today, uh, my second book comes out. It's called The Franchise: A Curated History of the Red Sox. Um, and, uh, that will be available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores, wherever you get your books. Uh, if people want to follow my Twitter account, which is Sean underscore McAdam, I'm going to be listing some signings where I'm going to be, uh, signing copies of books and speaking to people, a bunch of, um, bookstores throughout the Boston area and in throughout New England, those will be added in the next few weeks. So check my Twitter feed for information there. And um, if you'd be so kind, check out the book on uh, Amazon. As I said, it's available starting July 12th, uh, uh, exactly a week from when we're taping this. Beautiful. Oh, sounds good. I um, definitely could uh, use an up. I had a, I had that like hundred year history Red Sox book. I got it for Christmas a handful of years back and <laughs> I had it downstairs in a basement when I was renting a house and we had a really bad snowstorm and uh, lost the book. Uh-oh. So, oh. um, but no, I want to, um, now that I'm in a new place, I'm looking to, to add more of uh, just more socks books, stuff like that, just to kind of, you can obviously Google and, and whatever you want, but it's always nice to still get a hard copy of just the, just the time that someone put into, um, you know, writing and just, you know, you kind of different perspectives. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do, um, uh, you know, for, for, Obviously, for a franchise that's been around for 120 plus years, uh, I, I don't claim to have the definitive history. Uh, it is, as the title uh, warns people, a curated history. Um, it is, it is mostly modern Red Sox history, and by modern, I mean uh, post-expansion, kind of 1960 forward. Uh, there's a there's a decent amount in there about the impossible dream season of '67. Uh, there's a chapter on all the near misses they had, 67, 75, 78, 86. There's a chapter on the rivalry with the Yankees. There's a chapter on uh, some of the media figures who have covered this team, both as writers and broadcasters. Um, there's transformative figures in team history, people that maybe you don't know a whole lot about. Um, so I, I think there's a little something for everything. and I hope everybody even the, the most ardent Red Sox fans might learn a thing or two from it. I definitely will. Going back and reading anything from before I was born, I'll definitely learn <laughs> a thing or two. <laughs> All right. Well, that is, um, that thank is you again, Sean. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on here. Well, I'm sorry for the late hour, guys. but um, Hey, it's okay. It's at, fun at, chatting. Any chance you'll be signing in Texas? uh nothing nothing scheduled in texas although uh, i do plan to be uh in houston for that series in the beginning of august so um oh. if you're going to uh if you're going to um the ballpark to see any of those games come seek me out in the press box and i'd be happy to sign for you awesome there you go miggy <laughs> there you go miggy's got the connection <laughs>
thank you, Jim. Okay, guys. Great being on with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.